are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 175. Well, guys, as far as Indianapolis is concerned in the NFL Scouting Combine, it's a wrap. We've got everything we need now. Obviously, look, if you really follow players, some guys stood out to you, maybe some guys didn't. You know, you kind of come up with a list of guys you're going to go back and look into. Well, this guy tested out of this world. I didn't really see that on tape. Does it translate when I go back to look at the tape? This guy did not test so well. i got to go back and look at a little things as far as that. Is there something I missed? Is he not the athlete he's going to need to be? No. So that's, you know, what kind of takes you here and what's going to get you to, you know, April 26th as far as the evaluation of players. Free agency, obviously, next week it's, it's about to go down. So we'll have a lot of fun with that and see how this can all work out. This, our guest here this evening, uh, we tried to get together last week. Some things just didn't work out. Uh, he made it out to Indianapolis. Got to see uh, you know some of the meetings and the interviews, which will be cute, uh, you know, huge here as for you know the head coaches and the front offices. Mr. Mark Sessler from the Around the World NFL podcast, writer for NFL Network, long, long time so struggling and suffering Browns fan. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm glad we could finally uh, get together. We tried before uh, I left and. You know, uh, it's probably better now because I feel like I got to see some things that I not would I would not have known about before I took off. So maybe the timing was uh, good. Before we get into modern day, uh, now Mark, obviously I mentioned I know you're a long, long time fan. Uh, any guy who's got a Bernie Kosar as a background picture in his, you know, in his uh, profile, you know, is a long, long time guy. Uh, give me some thoughts. You know, what drew you to the Brown fandom? And uh, who are two of the guys that you hold nearest and dearest to your heart? It's um, I grew up on the East Coast in Jets Giants territory, That's and right. around 1986, I made the decision that the Giants, all my friends were Giants fans, a couple people Jets fans, that the Bill Parcells Giants were simply too boring for me because they were winning games, you know, 14 to three, and uh, you know, little did I know that that was there was a Super Bowl formula cooking up there. And I had a couple. I had a good friend that moved from Cleveland to my middle school, and it was just, we we became like really close friends. We both kind of loved football at the same time, and he was a diehard Browns fan. His name was Chris Sprague, and he's like, just give the Browns a chance. And so I, I started to watch them when I could because it was back in the day where they were not on TV at all. But they had a Monday night game where they sandblasted Dan Marino and the Dolphins, and I was like. That's my team. And the two guys, you want two guys, like it's so easy. I mean, there were I love those old teams from Marty Schottenheimer on down. But Bernie Kosar and even more so for me, Ernest Beiner, I just I felt like the, this is what it feels like to follow a team where I couldn't get my mind off them. I'm in sixth grade. I have no girlfriend. I got nothing to do. <laughs> I spent all my time obsessing over the Browns. And so, you know, months later, my Giants friends were beating Denver in the Super Bowl. And I had just lived through the drive. And instead of jumping ship, I thought, nope, I'm even more in. And then the fumble and everything that's come since. So I just cannot I cannot give up because the minute I, I feel like I abandon the Cleveland Browns, they will go 12-4 and four and I will realize that I've made another horrendous mistake. So I am sticking with them. But it's been, you know, covering, covering sports, it's been kind of rough to kind of just watch what's happened to them since their return. And I think anyone that, you know, has been close to Cleveland, close to the Browns. It's just an unbelievable saga of what's happened this century. Uh, it, it certainly has, and it's kind of funny the way you came about your fandom. Um, for me, growing up in New Jersey, 
it was Notre Dame, it was Penn State, and the 1988 Fiesta Bowl, I watched Florida State take the opening kickoff return. The guy ran about nine yards to his right, to the almost to the sideline, turned around and winged the ball the entire length of the field to somebody standing on the left side. That guy went up the field for 35 yards. And I was like, well, this is not a, this is a brand of college football I've never seen before. Okay, you've got me, Bobby Bowden. I'm in. I'm hooked. This is what I like. And that's what I kind of learned all about Florida athletes and that type of thing. Uh, you know, you brought up those two names. Obviously, those were very good teams. And it's a shame they never got the recognition they did. Um, for me, the one Brown that will always stand out is Eric Metcalf. Eric Metcalf was a Madden creative player before Madden even existed. He had moves upon moves. There was still one, I, I don't remember the exact game, but he, he was, you know, took off onto the right sideline, took the big jump cut in, then jump cupped right back out. It was inside the 10, juke two guys for a touchdown. He was just a guy who was light years ahead of his time. Yeah, I mean, he, I feel like if you were locked in on the Browns, you could hear all through training camp that, and you saw when he was drafted out of Texas, his, his tape was completely different than anything else. I feel like the Giants tried to get their version of that and David Meggett back then, but it was just, there was no one like Eric Metcalf. And he came, he became, I think, a household name in 1989 rookie season when they played the Bengals on Monday Night Football. I don't know if that's the play you're talking about. I think he, it was a Monday Night game, so it might be. Yeah, he, he, he turned two Bengals defenders into dust. And, and honestly, they didn't want to play him, if I recall, that early. He had sort of a limited role used on special teams, but they just could not keep him off the field by midseason. And, and back in those days when they would introduce those um, annual kind of NFL films recaps, on on the team and they'd make even like a three and 13 team look like a, you know a, a title contender with the way they could splice together they didn't have to do that with Metcalf I mean they had so much footage and there was like a 10 to 12 minute section on Eric Metcalf in the middle of that season's NFL diary that is still out there on YouTube and it is simply dazzling footage and who can forget his slaughtering of the Pittsburgh Steelers with the kick return the return touchdowns in the 93 season. It was just like every time he touched the ball, he was such a threat. And the Browns, I feel like in this century, during this gloomy times, have really lacked players like that. Back then, they had two or three on the roster on offense at the same time. That's the difference. Well, and you know that's the hope and key of what we're going to do with this offseason. Uh, guys, you're listening to Locked On Browns, a part of the Locked On NFL Network. Guys, Locked On Cavaliers, Chris Manning does a fantastic job. Check that out. We're here with Mark Sessler. Uh, but go ahead, give uh, Chris a, uh, a listen. Obviously, you know, getting closer and closer to playoff time. Chris has got you kept up on everything you need over there. Now, Mark, moving forward, obviously, I know you know the majority, vast of your responsibilities are to cover what is the NFL now. You know, they, they don't put too much on your plate as far as you know to dig into the scouting side of it as well. Um, the meetings, as far as you, you know, the draft meetings. Um, how much of this product is still a Hugh Jackson product, in your opinion? <clears throat> I think it's significantly shifted in the sense that when they went from Sashi Brown and um, what I do believe was a very collaborative, uh, you know, sort of front office and, and coaching mesh, with maybe not a obviously not a bona fide sort of general manager football czar who was kind of bathed in football scouting. Sashi Brown uh, was brought on for different reasons. He had certainly had people around him and scouts that were, 
But I think Hugh Jackson came in and was told that he would have a big voice in who they would draft. And at least, uh, you know, out of the gate when they took Cody Kessler, initially it, it sure sounded like Hugh Jackson um, had a long talk with Cody Kessler and, and was a big reason why they drafted him. And you felt the same way with a lot of their other players. Some of that has, um, you know, since through various channels were told Hugh Jackson didn't want this, didn't want that. Well, that's, I think there's a lot of he said, he said in there. But when you have John Dorsey, uh, I feel like if it was, it was a Cleveland Browns, a Haslam family swing back, almost like when you, you know, you're dating someone and the pluses and minuses they bring to the table, if it goes poorly or you decide it's not going to be the person you're going to live with ultimately, when you have that next relationship, you go in a completely different direction sometimes. And John Dorsey could not be any more of a completely different direction than a Sashi Brown-led front office. John Dorsey is one of these guys that he would rather be out on the road 200-plus days a year. He loves scouting. Uh, I believe that he would not have taken this job if his you know, a- analysis of players at every position were not going to be seen as the mountaintop in that organization. That said, based on what he's told us, he seems to be, you know, in lockstep with Hugh Jackson. I'm getting a little tired of hearing about lockstep with the Browns in general. <laughs> but he, he's, I think I think these are two football guys, and I think that he probably can relate to some of the difficulties Hugh Jackson has um, voiced. Some of those did not need to be voiced publicly, but they were uh, with the previous setup. Now, you cannot – John Dorsey is in an ideal, perfect situation – to if anyone's going to turn the Browns around, he's going to do it pretty rapidly with the bushel of picks and cap from he's been given. And I really would look down on anyone that can't see what Sashi Brown and that method accomplished for them, despite some one or two hideous blunders. You know, just the whole Carson Wentz thing. I get why people can't get past that. I that hurts me. That was the quarterback that as you know that I thought they should have gone after at the time. Uh, just based on where it all came down, Carson Wentz seemed like a perfect sort of AFC North dude. But they have a chance again to find a quarterback this time around with incredible draft power. I mean, you're an old school fan. I cannot think of a team outside of when Dallas, and it was different because it was players, not draft picks, when they swapped Herschel Walker for so much in return. Yep. Cleveland has kind of done the only way you can still do that, which is giving up, giving up highly coveted, first-round picks to teams that wanted quarterbacks. And the only problem is they didn't get one of their own. And Hugh Jackson is lucky to be employed right now because the optics on Hugh Jackson are vastly different than they were a couple years ago when he came out of Cincinnati seen as you know one of these so-called quarterback whispers. It will be interesting to see what, uh, what he can accomplish if they find a quarterback that everyone is married to. That's the question. There's so much... There's so many different whispers about who they want. I mean, I was in Indianapolis for three days, and who they were linked to changed four or five times. So I think there's a lot of smokescreen, and there's a lot of still homework to be done by various people inside the organization. Um, I couldn't agree more with you as far as you know the, where we are with the quarterback thing. And I think a lot of it is they can play the game because they also hold the number four selection. So if they start to understand... You know, if their top guy could fall here or, or whatever, you know, you're gonna play the maneuver 
you know, the, the fact that you can, you know, maneuver between one and four. If you end up at the end of the day, you want one and two, you could do that. If you want one and three, if you want two and three or two and four, you know, they, they're going to listen to all those aspects because they can do it and they have the capital to make that happen. And yes, it is kind of interesting that they get associated with every single quarterback. Um, it seems like the one guy who I think is the top guy, Josh Rosen, that's the one they get less associated with out of all of them, which seems kind of odd. But, you know, but I also think from the aspect of with what's been brought into that front office as well, you're going to have a lot of guys with a lot of football knowledge sitting down, and these quarterbacks are going to get examined to the death. Their junior prom dates are going to be called. It's going to be that extensive because they know, and, and look, John Dorsey, he knows what the problem is. And look, the roster, yes, it was 1-31 over the last two years, but a lot of holes have been filled and John Dorsey knows that it's time to go get that quarterback. Yep, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I, I feel like most people that watched the Browns week in and week out, um, I get some of those games, some weird stuff happened at the end, but it was a 4-12. and 12, I, and Absolutely. I, I saw them as a 4-5 or five win team that, in a very freaky scenario, wound up 0-16. Um, that has to come down on coaching, I'm sure. You know, behind closed doors, uh, they're taking some accountability for that. You don't hear a lot of that out in public, which is a bit concerning. But I think 0-16, after a 1-15 season, it's just psychologically a lot for everyone to uh, to take inside the organization. So clean slate, if that's what they want to do. Uh, when it comes to who's out there and who they say they want, half the time for me, I'm like, I think you're trying to assess who other teams want. Because Do- Dorsey basically said, you want the number one pick? Call me. I mean, I think they're always open for business. And if they feel like it's the Giants who want to move up from two to one, which, you know, I don't feel like that's a huge Dave Gettleman move as they're, as the Giants GM. But just the idea that you could still be hovering around in the world to get your quarterback and add something more, they'd be open to it. Um, I think most Browns fans would, would, would feel like, look, if you – I think it was two minds, obviously. One – Saquon Barkley is starting to become like this year's offensive version of Miles Garrett, just a completely freaky option. Then you can start to cozy up to the idea of a sort of a generational running back in a city that, you know, loves a great ground game. That is, that's kind of it. football in theory, the Cleveland Browns would want to play. It's been a long time since we've seen it. But if you it, also that the quarterback has dodged this organization for so long. That if you come to a, a group opinion, and that would include Hugh Jackson and everyone else, that, look, we, we feel like it's Sam Darnold. Or, listen, you know, we have Scott McLuhan in our organization, and he's starting to sell us on Baker Mayfield. And we're all start behind the scenes. You know, Baker Mayfield got rave reviews for his private interviews with teams across the league in Indianapolis. So you're going to see the stock rise and fall. Josh Allen answered some questions in his combine workout. I don't. I, I feel like teams are going to have to see, do a lot more than look at a combine workout, and they do. Amen. But <laughs> a lot of these guys are not. There's not. There's not like a red flags on these quarterbacks. I think they just have minor questions. And I, Cleveland's going to kick the whole thing off. And this is going to be the nod to Hugh Jackson. I mean, the one thing that came out over and over that was very clear that it's not a Kirk Cousins thing. We all know that. That that AJ McCarron is still a real uh, viable. Uh, object of pursuit that I expect they will go out and they will use him as someone to prevent having to start a rookie at week one and you build the team around that one and four pick one of them will be a quarterback but maybe they're comfortable behind a McCarron getting the second or second or third quarterback of the group I to me I feel like 
just personally, if you find that guy, you go for it at one. But um, Barkley, Barkley changed a lot over the last week. Um, which it seems a little weird though, because anything we heard on Saquon Barkley was he was a freak athlete and a darn good running back. So, and a lot of people like to use the term when you're evaluating players, and we get to whether it's the Senior Bowl or the Combine, is you know you can't score him twice for something. If we knew Saquon Barkley was the goods, he shouldn't be elevated anymore after what he did in the Combine, because essentially what he did was confirm the athlete that he is. For me, when you when you're grading, there's no way. I mean, I can understand if they say, well, you know, he's one, he's two, he's three, but if the guy's your one. He's your one. And look, if you're a franchise like Cleveland and you've been looking for this guy and everybody knows the list and it's on the jersey, and, and but if you know this guy is the one and now you're to the point where you have this much intelligence in the front office, just don't overthink it. Keep it simple, stupid. Take the guy. And this is one yeah. thing that no Browns fan will understand is there's still a darn good possibility Saquon Barkley could be available at four. There is because I mean the, the the thing that's in their favor, if they took a quarterback at one, is that no position's going to obviously be overdrafted and, and 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 stuffed up into the top of the first round and quarterback, especially this year. That said, I think Cleveland is has earns to you know there's a benefit there to saying Saquon Barkley is our dude, uh, whether or not it's true because the two teams behind you, the Giants and the Colts have burning needs at running back, and maybe that's what it would take. I mean, I really think it's he's in the mix for Cleveland. I don't think it's that the Combine changed it. It's just that the Combine probably reinforced uh, those scouting reports. Uh, but it comes down to, you know, they can't, they can't, if they took, if they took Barkley at one, at best, at worst, you get the third, the number three quarterback in your mind at four. I don't think that's... That that's not a great thing to sell to your fan base, but we don't know which quarterback they really they really believe in at this point, and I'm not sure that that homework is probably ongoing. I mean, it's almost like you could look at one and four and say, oh well, it would be much better if we had one and two. I mean, teams don't stumble into this situation more than once every you know 25 years, so it's it's still an incredible king's ransom they're sitting on. Exactly, and the other thing is you keep in fact that there's still 10 more picks after that five more picks within the top 100 and look that's how you assemble these guys in the front office because look everybody's got aspirations to go on and have their own show this group collectively kills a class like this that's going to help everyone else elevate themselves um the biggest domino yet to fall and i think just because of the kind of guy he is and the longer it goes on joe thomas um look i i think he's truly enjoying what he's doing as far as podcasting, and now it's come out that he's you know interviewed for, you know, uh, you know obviously you know game coverage you know with Fox, but I I, I feel that like the longer it goes on, Joe Thomas is not going to turn his back on this franchise, and he's coming back. What are your thoughts here, Mark? Well, I mean the reports were that you know Ian Rappaport from NFL Network and others basically said, look, he's leaning towards coming back, and I think that's you know he he probably knows the window here. Is closing on on having a decision other than yes. Um, Joe Thomas, to his credit, and you see Greg Olson uh, has done this too. Yep. The Panthers tight end. Um, a lot of players will dip into media before their careers and just find out a is it a fit? Um, do I enjoy it? Uh, do people seem to think that I that I'm good at it? And with Joe Thomas, 
I mean, I think he has an incredible career on the other end of football to do that. And, he, you know, he, I, I, I agree with what Hugh Jackson said in terms of, like, he lost some weight. All of There's plenty of time to, 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 to correct, you know, the physical body side of it all. It's probably much more about the mind. Do you want to come back? Do you Are you motivated to do this for another year? Because Cleveland's not, I mean, barring the impossible, Cleveland is not suddenly going to become some sort of uh, raging AFC North title contender in the next five or six months. Weirder things have happened. I'm not saying that's impossible. It's just that if Joe Thomas is saying in his mind it's only one more season, then what is it you're hoping to experience in that season? I think that would be probably what the question would be. There's also money attached to it quite a bit, so there's that. And, you know, Cleveland's got enough draft picks. They have too many draft picks. I mean, let's cycle back here for one minute. Like, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to trade back into the first round to get a left tackle, to get, I'm not saying there's a great group of left tackles, but just to address multiple needs. Maybe it's to address, uh, you know, wide receiver. I mean, you can't keep bringing 16, 15, 16 picks into camp each year. They, they, if anything, the Browns have made it clear, I think, that they want to get older. They They explored a trade for Robert Quinn. They're talking about veteran safety help. They're looking at you know, players sort of all over the league, you see some of the visits, they want to get, not not to get older, but to bring in some veterans to offset a locker room that I think, despite being 0-16, was a little bit too into themselves last year and maybe needs a little bit more accountability uh, heading into the next season. So, you know, back to Joe Thomas, I think as long as, if he gives them ample time to make a decision, they have more than enough draft stock to to address the position and move forward. And the other thing is, is there's no left tackle in this group that's going to go at one or four. Right. Probably not at 14, maybe not even at 24. So, you know, and look, I don't think Joe, the type of guy he is in any way, is going to do the franchise wrong. You know, he'll have a decision in plenty of time for them to make it. And I 100% agree with you. He is they've taking done to him the- wrong. I mean, think about what he's done for them compared to what they've forced him to play with since 19, since he was drafted. You know, in 2007, it is unbelievable that this Hall of Famer will have to look back on this cast of quarterbacks, half of these skill position players. He couldn't have been more of a gentleman. And if he decides to walk away, I have to say every single Browns fan would have to say, we get it. You've done more than enough. You're a Hall of Famer instantly. And you know what? He he has a chance to make just as much of an impact in media down the road. I really think he has a gift for that. He already has shown that. Yeah, I think he's going to, whenever he walks away, he's going to walk into a radio gig Monday through Friday, and he'll go do a game every weekend. I think he'll go the Boomer Sison route, and it'll, you know, he's taken to it so well, and I think his personality just shows with it. Uh, Guys, you're listening to Locked On Browns. If you're listening through the Megaphone app, guys, now's a good time to go ahead and subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, whatever your preference is. Leave that five-star review. Make the big boss happy. I appreciate you guys. Uh, just a couple other things now, and this is now. Look, it's great that you have over a hundred million dollars in cap space. Can they draw some people with this, Mark? Can they get the quality they need, or are you going to have to overpay somebody who may not be worth it? Can they truly get in the impact that they can? You know that they would. They're hoping to make. I think it's interesting because they weren't <laughs> willing to overpay for Robert Quinn. Uh, you know, who basically went to Miami for a fourth-round pick and a swap of six-round picks. Robert Quinn is not the same player that Robert Quinn was a few years ago, and it tells me, and I think this is a positive thing, 
that the Browns aren't looking simply to stock up, you know, players who, you know, are maybe not at their prime at this point. Free agency is a little bit of a boondoggle because you're not going to get to the market without having sort of something wrong with you. Uh, or, or if you're Kirk Cousins, having been into sort of an untenable contract situation, a cat and mouse where both sides simply said, we're done. I mean, these guys get there with injury history. Uh, they get there with, you know, other things sort of plaguing them, whether it's character or team fit. And so I don't, I mean, the problem with Cleveland, because they've refused to sort of spend money in the last couple of years, is that you you don't want to overspend and blow up your cap. That's what happened to John Court Dorsey in Kansas City. If there was one knock on him, it was, listen, yeah, you found good players, but Kansas City's cap situation is abysmal right now. And so it's not, let's not swing back from the clean books that Sashi Brown and company uh, put together and suddenly have a bunch of dead money all over the place two or three or four years from now. The problem with these young teams is you've got at this point, now they have to be successful players too, but you've got waves of young players that are all going to become free agents in Cleveland before they become necessarily a great team at the same time over and over. And so you've got to find other guys to sprinkle in on this on these rosters to, who could be placeholders through some of this transition. Again, they, let's find out if Cleveland actually drafted players you want to resign to begin with, but as they start to just really kind of turn the corner with talent, and you're seeing that, you're seeing elements of that. I, it's funny because uh, one thing that Rapp, Ian Rappaport mentioned to us last week on our podcast was that he was talking to someone, um, a high-up executive, who basically said Cleveland's defense is poised to become awesome very soon, very mm-hmm. quickly. It can happen next season. And all everyone focuses on is quarterback. And are they going to go get Barkley at running back? The defense made some strides last year. They need to find some secondary help, obviously. But the pieces are starting to show. And it's Dorsey's job to kind of take them over the top and make them a competitive team and find out also, do we have the right coaching staff here? Because that's another huge question. The answer so far would say, well, no. Now, I mean, things can change, and people can people can you know overreact to a lot of different situations. But you're watching a Sean McVay go into an utterly dead, inept Rams team and turn them around in one year. A lot of the trend is hiring some younger coaching guys who see the league in a different way. Does Cleveland's coaching staff? They have to find that out this season, and they have to come down on a, with a very clear decision because you've got too much riding on this to go with the wrong coach. Hugh Jackson has a, has been given a chance that few coaches would to show that he's still the right person. Yeah, and that's a great thing that you brought up with McVeigh. And the thing is, is so many times we hear with, you know, with, with a quarterback, whether it's by his second or his third year, you know, whether he struggled and does find success, but you hear, oh, well, what the staff did is they sat down with him. They went over some college film. They found out what he was comfortable with. They tried to put some of that into the offense. And with a guy like McVay, he just hit the ground running with that. And that's maybe more, you know, look, I mean, you know, we, we hear so much about, you know, the stubborn old part of the NFL, whether it's front offices or the coaching staffs. And this is what you get with the younger guys now is they have, you know, they see and they've seen everything that these older guys have been doing for years. Plus, they come in with their new stuff. But, you know, why not sit down from day one with your young quarterback and say, is there a way I can change the phrasing on this that's going to make it easier for you? Um, you know, how do you view this play? What can I change here, which isn't a big change, it's a minor change, that's going to make it easier for you? 
It, it, it always seems like they get to it once he's struggled. Why doesn't anybody get out in the front of it and do it from that point? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just stuff that we're not, you know, you have to be almost behind team walls to see <clears> some of this. I mean, but what we did see last year, and not to keep coming down on the coaches, but, I mean, the way that Deshaun Kaiser's rookie career was handled through the media, I, I mean, well, it, how was that helpful? I mean, I understand Deshaun Kaiser had his ups and downs. He may not be your answer, but how did you walk out of last year with a true read on him? What would he have looked like in a system that was able to kind of nurture him uh, from day one versus battling agendas? We know there were battling agendas last year in Cleveland. There were in the previous regime, the one before it, the one before that, and the one that came previous to that one. If this team can't find a way to get the front office and the coaching group on the same page, it seems like there's a shot with that now nothing will change. I mean, it, it cannot be the front office and the coaching staff dueling against each other and marginalizing players' careers to win personal battles that we don't have all the details of. I mean, it's just like, the, the, you look at a team like the Patriots, not to bring them up every time, but it's like, when's outside of you know a, bl a blip on the radar this year when they had to force to trade Jimmy Garoppolo, which blew up their future planning, how often do you hear grumbling? You don't, because you don't have a bunch of disparate people being hired at different times. It's like they, they're on the same page, and if you're not, there's so much distraction that it seemed like the Browns simply will not survive. And last year's 0-16 record has as much to do with dysfunction and, and you know awkward and battling priorities as it does with a lack of talent. I could not agree more. Mark, before I let you go here, I do have one last question from some of the listeners. As far as this current roster, uh, you know, we hear some rumblings, uh, you know, a couple of names, maybe it's Corey Coleman. Uh, anybody... I mean, you know, this maybe some guys would prefer to move on. Maybe it's an Isaiah Crowell. Obviously, we everybody thinks to the man that he's not coming back. Is there anybody on this roster, though, currently that you know maybe should be a little nervous that they're not going to be part of the 2018 Cleveland Browns? I think you nailed it with Coleman. It's it's um, it's someone who I mean, Corey Coleman is an exciting. I I really loved him when they drafted him. I thought this was just the kind of guy that Cleveland's not had. There was a game against the Ravens. Uh, rookie season where he in the quarter in the span of like a half blew up and I thought if this is the guy we have then wow you have a number a bona fide number one wide receiver and they need wide receivers and Corey Coleman uh, is this someone who uh, I don't know I you know I, I have no personal interaction with him but heard stuff that you know this is not the easiest person to work with and the kid these are kids they can they can grow up and mature and so he deserves more of a chance but I could see if he really is just someone at the coaching staff. Um, you know, this was not Hugh Jackson's pick necessarily. We don't know. It certainly wasn't John Dorsey's. And it would depend, I think, what you can get in return. You're so, he's so young and he doesn't cost that much money. It's like, and they have so much cap for him. I mean, what is the point of not keeping him around for another season? Like, it's funny because you look at the free agent list for Cleveland, there's nothing. And if you were really to say, I want to pick Cleveland's roster and try to find someone to trade for, well, there aren't that many players on offense, at least, that you would do so. I think their most valuable player on offense outside of Joe Thomas is Duke Johnson. That's someone that you hope you can build around before he would escape to free agency on his own. And on defense, I mean, there's just too many young guys that the book is just not completely, you know, we, I, I hope I would like to see them bring back Danny Sheldon. It sounds like they were talking to his agent. Dorsey mentioned that. I mean, you, you, you've gone through so many rough weeks and months and years with these guys. Can't some of them be, ar be around when they turn the corner? So I, I don't know. I, I think Dorsey is probably more in the, in the business of acquiring 
than um, kind of jumping ship on some of these players because a lot of it maybe will be figured out later in the offseason and even in training camp in the summer. Maybe someone like Coleman could go if they find out they have you know, a bunch of other guys they can use. If they have nothing in wide receiver, I would hang on to Corey Coleman for another year. Yeah, and I think the biggest issue is is if you were ever to get the 16 games of Corey Coleman, that's fantastic. Right. But the problem is your number one wide receiver, your number two wide receiver, that on paper and who they could be, look like a really, really great group. But as talented as Josh is, he's a ten times bigger risk than he is talent. And then, if Corey Coleman gets injured, you're right back where you were to weeks two through eight last year, where every week Deshaun Kaiser went out and looked to his left to his right, and one of those guys was a different starter. You kind of yeah. have to just, I mean, you might not be, you might be sacrificing talent, but, you know, what is, you know, what are the lines of what is one of your greatest abilities is your availability. I would say this with Cleveland, too, and I think I think they're going to address this. I think they're not going to see these same sort of gaffes, hopefully. It's not just about signing any veteran because this locker room is so young. That wide receiver room is so young. When you bring a guy like Kenny Britton, it took everyone in the wrong direction. Corey Coleman... Did not need Keddy Britt around him. And they've got to be careful about, don't just sign any veteran. Sign the right veterans to help nurture the youngest roster in the league. And, the, you know, listen, addition by subtraction was a big issue when they got rid of Kenny Britt. And that was one of John Dorsey's very first moves. So this is not someone, John Dorsey is going to look for character veterans. And that's something the Cleveland Browns could use uh, in bundles. And when, that, when it, the signing first went down, it was, you know, and me now out of Jersey, you know, I saw him at Rutgers, you know, and the question was, you know, hey, I like Kenny Britt, but the question is, which Kenny Britt is showing up? Because there's two of them. Cleveland got the, the bad one. They got the yeah, one who got... Yeah, Kenny Britt's going to show up when you're 0-9? I, I think it's like, that's exactly. the thing you've got to It's going to be, it's going to be another year of tough sledding. Like, who's going to be all in no matter what? Because that, they're going to, the younger players, and it's cliche, but... Like they're gonna they're gonna kind of be mag you know they're gonna be drawn towards the behavior of some of these veterans and I think they've got some good veterans especially along their offensive line and stuff but it's like you got to sprinkle those guys all over the roster. I couldn't agree more. And there was the video as Josh Gordon started to come back from practice. It was a drill. Every guy was busting at 100 percent, and Kenny Britt went last, and it was a lollygagging effort at best, and it was just like. And I'm sure John Dorsey, that was one of the first things he saw. Hey, just get this guy out of here. Absolutely. You, know, you don't need Deep this. Six exactly. I mean, what are we going to go? Any worse than 0 16? You know, he's got to go. Guys, Locked On Browns 175. Mark Sessler from NFL Network, from the Around the NFL podcast. Mark, I appreciate you so much. I had a blast. We're going to have to get you back on here sometime before April 26th. I'd love to. Let's talk again. And uh, yeah, this was fun. And it's always good to talk with a, another Browns fan. Absolutely, guys. Uh, appreciate you so much. Uh, we listen to Mark Sessler. We've gone over a little Browns history from the past. Uh, you know, some of his takes that he's uh, from where we are from the new regime. Obviously, Hugh here, obviously with a whole bunch of different front office. So we were able to cover a lot of stuff here and some thoughts here on the off season. Uh, you know, look, we're going to know within about you know seven, eight, nine days here now about some new roster additions. Hopefully, we'll be able to you know slot draft information once we get some free agents in here. We'll be able to you know dig a little deeper into this for you guys. But again, Locked On Browns, episode 175. Appreciate you guys for listening. Let's go Browns.